The second reading is 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 to 28, and it's on page 42 of these booklets. <clears throat> 1 Thessalonians 5, starting at verse 12. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Brothers and sisters, pray for us. Greet all God's people with a holy kiss. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Good morning, everybody. My name's Ed. I'm one of the pastors here at Church by the Bridge, and it's great to open God's Word with you. Hey, we're at the end of our series in 1 Thessalonians, and I wonder if anyone's still got their dearly loved booklets. Hands up if you've still got your booklet. Yeah, even I forgot mine today. So uh, uh, we're on page, oh, actually, I don't even, I've got a different Bible for you. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, uh, verses 12 to 28. At the end of our sermon today, we're going to have some time just to sit and reflect on what God has taught us from the letter to the Thessalonians. So just to prepare you for that, for some, uh, some thinking and some meditation time, uh, that's where we're heading. So let's come before God and pray as we open his word together and hear from him. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you love us, you love us dearly. Thank you that we belong to you. And we pray that you would show us now as we think and meditate on your word and hear what you have to teach us, that we would be a people who dearly love one another as you have loved us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we are family, Church by the Bridge. Uh, the common Christian greeting, morning brother, morning sister, we are family. And as you look around in this room, you might be thinking, oh dear, or you might think, brilliant, this is wonderful. Well, what is it about family that makes it a delight or disastrous? It's not necessarily who's in the family. You could have crazy Uncle Joe, but if you can relate well with crazy Uncle Joe, then Christmas lunch can be a delight, can be fun and vibrant. Or you can have perfectly normal, run-of-the-mill family. But if your relationships are dysfunctional, well, Christmas lunch is a disaster, isn't it? Friends, we who have turned to God from idols, who have turned to worship the living God, who have heard his voice and responded, 
who are now in relationship with the living God, we have become children of God. And because we're children, we're brothers and sisters with one another. And so you belong to me, and I belong to you, and we belong to one another. And what makes family the best? What makes it brilliant? What makes Christmas lunch a delight? It's good relationships. It's loving one another well. And as we get to the end of Thessalonians, Paul is, is going to come home with a barrage of relation, relating ideas and commands and instructions. Uh, I don't know if you, you remember or, or maybe you've been a parent who've dropped off a child on their first ever school camp. So what happens? Parent and child pull up to the drop-off point of school camp. Child steps out of the car. Parent turns to them and says, don't forget to put your sunscreen on. Make sure you drink enough water. I packed you extra underpants. Make sure you don't hang out with Billy Black. And get the teacher to call me if there are any issues. The barrage of relational ideas and things that they must do. As Paul gets to the end of his letter to the Thessalonians, he has got a whole spectrum of commands, instructions, 15 must-dos, 15 commands, 15 instructions on how we are to relate well and to love one another. But it's all, it's very systematic and it's all about our relationships because it's all about us loving one another well as family. And that's our big idea today. We are to love one another well as the dearly loved family of God. We're going to make our way through in the manner that Paul does, thinking in three areas how we love. We're going to think about loving our leaders well. We're going to think about loving one another well. And thirdly, we'll think about loving God well. So we'll begin loving our leaders well. How do we relate well to those over us in the Lord? We respect and regard them. Now I have to say, Church by the Bridge, you are brilliant at loving your leaders well. You are brilliant. Uh, it is almost worth training to become a minister so that you can be prayed for and loved as well as I am by you. It is such a privilege to be uh, someone who's been set apart to lead you. So thank you for the way that you love and care for your leaders. Thank you for the way that you respect and regard us. Uh, but we can't take it for granted. And it's not just those who are on staff here who need to be regarded and respected. Who is it? Verse, 14, verse, 14, uh, sorry, verse 12 tells us who they are. It's people who do three things amongst us. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to give recognition to those who three things, labor among you, lead you in the Lord, and admonish you. That sounds like a description, if you ask me, of our connect group leaders, of our kids' church leaders, maybe our welcome team leaders, those who... Prepare before you come to church. Those who get here early and stay until after you've left. Those who love you and serve you. And I, I love that about Christian leadership. Because those who are over you in the Lord are only there because they're willing to lower themselves beneath you and serve you. And that's what Jesus taught us, didn't he, about leadership in God's church. Remember that ultimate act of leadership? Jesus took a towel, wrapped it around his waist, got down on his hands and knees and scrubbed the dirty, smelly feet of his disciples and said, this is how you are to love one another. That is leadership in God's church. It is service. 
It is lowering yourself under others to serve them. And so if that's what leadership looks like, well, then it's entirely dependent on what? Verse 12, now we ask you, brothers, to give recognition, acknowledgement. If service is the way of leadership in God's church, then leaders are powerless unless you let them serve you. Reserved Ray is leading a weekly connect group for the first time in 2018 here at Church by the Bridge. In Reserved Ray's uh, connect group is Gregarious Greg. Greg is outgoing, funny, center of attention, loud, opinionated, has a strong influence in the connect group. Greg and Ray have known one another since they became Christians at youth group and grown up together. Well, uh, at the recent Men at the Oaks event, to be just completely blunt, Gregarious Greg got drunk. And so Reserved Ray wants to love and lead Greg. Well, how will he do it? Verse 12, he will lead him and admonish him. Well, so he calls, he calls him up and says, Greg, I want to chat to you about what happened on Thursday night. He wants to speak to him and, and warn him about the dangers of getting drunk and, and getting drunk in front of their non-Christian friends that they're bringing to introduce to Jesus. Well, what's Greg's options? I'm a fully grown adult. I don't need to be told what to do. Who are you to tell me? You know, we're the same age. We're peers. Or he can let Ray lead him and serve him. And he can heed that warning, heed that admonishment, and, and be corrected. And that's what we want from our leaders, isn't it? We want them to love us enough to tell us right from wrong. We want them to love us enough to warn us, to admonish us. A friend from the 8am congregation this morning said, I grew up on a heavy diet of admonishment. I was part of the closed brethren community. He feels like he's had... Plenty of admonishment in his life. But some of us have been never admonished in our life. We're like those children who've grown up without boundaries. It is loving to be warned. It is loving to be admonished by those who love and lead you. Well, we want our leaders to love us enough to help us to keep walking in the light. So verse 13 instructs us, that we should hold our leaders in highest regard. But it's not because of who they are. And in fact, you might actually find that you don't get on very well with your leaders, that you actually find them a bit annoying, uh, that you, you don't really relate well at all. But the reason to hold them in high regard is not because of them, but what does verse 13 tell us? We are to regard them very highly in love because of their work. You know, one of the most common questions I get asked as a Christian minister is, what exactly is it that you do? Maybe you're asking the same question. This is what I do. I just wait here on Sunday for you to come back to church each week uh, so I can talk to you. Uh, no, what do I do? What is the work that I do? I don't work harder than anyone out here. But the nature of the work that we do it is taxing and it is very important. So... I have been set aside for the ministry of the word and prayer. This week I've been preparing this sermon. I've been preparing Bible studies for our next series on the doctrine of the church. 
I've been striving to give myself or do the hard work of praying for you as a church. Uh, my work is to uh, to care. For, uh, sorry, my work is to to uh, shepherd the flock. So. I've had difficult conversations with a sister who's in a relationship with a non-Christian man. That's been challenging. I lost sleep over that. Uh, I've read the Bible and prayed with, it with another sister who's in hospital. My work is to prepare the saints for work of ser- works of service. So I meet with key leaders in our church to disciple them so that they might disciple others. My work is to do the work of the evangelist. So on Monday night, at our final week of Alpha, I invited a room full of guests to repent of their sin, to turn to Jesus, and to start living for him as their Lord and Savior. And you know what? On our feedback forms, four of them said they did that this Monday night. So praise God for that. It's not like, the work, uh, it's not like we work especially hard, but the work is significant and important, and the work is to be regarded So we are to hold our leaders in high regard. And I thank you so much, Church by the Bridge, for the way that you do do that. Well, apart from the things that I have done, there's all the things that I've failed to do this week. The people I should have called, the friend who's lost their job and I haven't even phoned them. But I'm deeply, deeply thankful that the work of caring for one another, of loving one another well, is not just the work of the paid staff. It's the work of all of us. It's family business. And that's our third point this mor- uh, the second point this morning. We're to love one another well. Often people after a Sunday or maybe during the week will send me an email and say, just want to let you know Simon's not going very well in his faith. To which I just want to respond, well, thank you for informing me. Um, what are you going to do about it? Uh, because the work of caring for one another is family work. Verse 14, Paul tells us, And we exhort you, brothers, that is, brothers and sisters, everyone sitting here, this is your work. Warn those who are irresponsible. Comfort the discouraged. Help the weak. Tough conversations. That's our business. Reading the Bible with with faint-hearted brothers and sisters. That's our business. Patient listening to the weak. Praying with those who are struggling, that's our business. That's family business. And I love the way that these, three, these verses acknowledge that sitting here in church this morning, there are going to be people in all of those different places. There's going to be some who are backsliding, some who are idle in their faith, some who, who are faint-hearted, discouraged, need building up, some who are just weak and just need to be carried. And different people will need different care and different love amongst us uh, as we go in our walk. But here's a challenge for us. I wonder if you know who the the idle or the discouraged or the faint-hearted or the weak are in this family. I wonder if you know people well enough to know where they're at in their faith. When I was 19 and at the height of my social uh, capacity, I used to use my home as a a refuel station. That is, I would be out and about, Palm Beach through to my rowing club, uh, out into North Sydney, back home, eat, sleep, eat, and go again. That was the way I used home. Friends, I hope that you don't use church 
as a refuel station. So busy out there in the week that you just come here, refuel, and get back out there and do everything else. I hope that there is time to love one another, to know one another well, to be in a connect group and get to know a smaller group of people whom you can love and really walk alongside with. Because we are family. And if there were people in my family who were struggling when I was 19, I didn't even have time to know. I hope you've got time to know who are the idle or the, the, the uh, irresponsible, the discouraged and the weak are. And to love them well and walk alongside them. To love them the way that they need to be loved. And that's another lesson that we learn from verse 14. We exhort you, brothers, to warn the irresponsible, comfort the discouraged, and be patient with the weak. Different people need different love at different times in their walk with God. The irresponsible, well, they don't need encouragement. Clarence, it's really great that you can make it here once a month. Clarence doesn't need encouragement. Clarence needs admonishment, warning. I wonder if you could do this. I wonder if you could say, you know what? When you come here just once a month, it's not you who misses out, but we miss out on being encouraged and served by you. You could do that. You could warn those who are idle or irresponsible. The weak don't need warning. They don't need admonishment. If you're struggling in your faith, you don't need to be told, have more faith or pray more. Maybe you could say to a struggling brother or sister, I'm going to pray for you every day this week. I'm going to text you a Bible verse just to remind you that God is with you. Or could I come over on Tuesday night and we'll just pray together? If you know someone is really struggling to pray, go and pray with them. That's a great way to help them get their prayer life rolling. But we're not always going to get it right. And in fact, like any family, there'll be times when we get it profoundly wrong and we totally stuff up. So verse 15 matters for us. Verse 15, See to it that no one repays evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good for one another and for all. I don't know what your experience of family has been in your life, but when it's tit for tat, it just gets ugly and it escalates out of control. You know, brother, um, brother, has, uh, brother retaliates, oh, sorry, brother won't forgive sister, who made comment about parenting style in 2005. So 2009, brother plots the perfect retaliation. He won't bring the children to the sister's wedding because the kids are so out of control. You know, tit for tat, it just gets ugly. It escalates and gets out of control. But no, we are a people with whom God has made peace, with whom God has forgiven. And so if you've experienced the forgiveness and the grace of God, then you need to extend that to your brothers and sisters around you. We need to pursue what the end of verse 13 sums up when it says, be at peace among yourselves. That's the great goal of the family. That's what makes being family lovely, when we're peaceful, at peace with one another. You know, we're Anglicans here at Church by the Bridge, and uh, we've got some strange traditions, but we've also got some lovely ones. One of the lovely traditions in the Anglican Church is when we partake of communion, the Lord's Supper, the meal, where we remember that God has made peace with us. When we do that, part of the service is to offer one another a sign of peace. So we all walk around the room shaking hands, giving one another a holy kiss. 
and we say to each other, peace be with you. And it's a lovely tradition because it says, just before we remember that God has made peace with us, that we're to live and reconcile and be at peace with one another. So we're not going to do peace be with you today. Um, You can do that if you want after the service. But do shake one another's hands. Do offer one another a holy kiss as we're instructed here at the end of this letter. But be at peace with each other. Pursue peace with one another. That brings us to our third and final point, which is loving God well, relating to God well. It was Monday morning just this last week. I was in a I was in a tiz. I was stressed out about uh, the final night of Alpha, getting everything ready. Uh, I was getting bombarded by women who wanted to go to the Women at the Oaks event and get those last few tickets that we had on sale. And I was sort of fluffing around the office, and Liz, our all-perceptive blessing from heaven and office administrator, says to me, Ed, are you okay? No, I'm not okay, Liz. I don't know, just fluffing around. And I thought to myself, you know, I remembered when I was at primary school and when you catch on fire, you've got to stop, drop and roll. Well, I thought I'm preparing to preach this sermon to everyone and I've been, I've been meditating on the fact that at all times, in every circumstances and, and, and in every way, we are to rejoice, pray and give thanks. So I just closed my door, I went into my office and I thought, what can I rejoice over? I can rejoice over the fact that in a few hours, God is going to use me to invite people to come from death into life. What a privilege. I can rejoice in that. What do I need to pray for? I'm stressed out by all these emails and people wanting to get seats at the Women at the Oaks. I can pray that the people who need to get there and need to hear what's being said will get the seats. And I can pray that Lynn Worsley will hit it out of the park, which apparently she did. So I prayed that, and then I can give thanks. I can give thanks that so many people want to come and gather and hear from God and and come to Alpha and come to Women at the Oaks and be at church. I can give thanks for these good things. And just those little attitude shifts changed my Monday. It it dramatically transformed the way that, that I got on with the rest of the day. So at all times, in every circumstances, always, in every season, rejoice, pray, And give thanks. Verse uh, 18 tells us, For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. We can get all caught up on what God's will for our lives is. Which job, which house, uh, which schools, um, when to retire. A lot of those things are quite peripheral. What God is most concerned is how you do those things. With an attitude of joy, of prayerful dependence and of thankfulness in whatever you're doing. That is God's will for us in Christ Jesus. But it's not just God's will for us individually, it's also his will for us as a gathering, as the gathered family of God. So our gatherings here at church are to be joyful gatherings. Uh, They're to be gatherings where we pray. And you might think, gee, they pray a lot here. They keep stopping and praying. Well, we're trying to, we could store it all up and just have one big session where we pray. Maybe one Sunday a month we pray lots and then we just get on with business in the other, other Sundays. But we want to model to us as a family praying in all circumstances, praying at all times. We're to be people who are thankful, counting our blessings, giving thanks to God for our immeasurable goodness. Thank you, Amy, for just getting up and saying thanks to God 
for what's happening. Thank you, Stephanie Browning. Andrew and Stephanie are here um, back from Tanzania. Uh, thank you for, for being with us. And, and you might want to give thanks for the work that God has done through Andrew and Stephanie uh, in Ethiopia and in Tanzania. 16 years of service there. So one of God's great goodnesses that we, we must be very thankful for is God's goodness in giving us his spirit. Verse 19 exhorts us, Do not stifle the spirit. You might be thinking, I'm Anglican, I didn't know there was a spirit. Well, the thing is, the spirit of God is to be expected amongst us, powerfully present when we meet, powerfully working in and through us. What is the Spirit's work? His work is to illuminate Jesus, to convict our hearts, to transform us into the likeness of Jesus. How might we stifle the Spirit? How might we quench the Spirit, suppress Him? Well, suppressing Him from doing that good work. You might find yourself so packed up on a Sunday. You might do things before, go, go for some activities before church and then head off straight away after church. And there's no time to let God's word sink into your heart and be transforming. You might run away after church. Forgive me if you have to do this today and run out the door. No judgment. But you might make it a regular pattern of leaving straight after church and you never allow yourself to have relationships where you might be able to be encouraged or even admonished. You might find that, uh, that you've, you've found yourself uh, finding it very difficult to respect or regard your leaders or listen to them in, what, in the ways that they're trying to warn, encourage, or admonish you. Different ways that we can stifle the Spirit of God. But one that our passage particularly has in mind is in the very next verse. Verse 20. It says, do not despise prophecies, but test all things. Interestingly, Paul has the assumption that when God's people are gathered together, there will be prophecy. There will be words spoken from God. So what is prophecy, you might be asking? Well, prophecy is a word from God given to a particular person or particular people that's relevant to them, that is tested by God's word and will always be in line with God's word. And in the church, there is, it is expected that there will be words from God that come to us. Words that we can weigh up by God's revealed, written word. And, and in the church, throughout the, the New Testament times, there were different, different prophecies going on in the churches, different experiences of prophecy. So you've got the Corinthian church, which was going wild. Everyone was prophesying. Everyone had a word from God. You almost didn't know which word to listen to or, or who was speaking at what time. And then on the other end of the spectrum, well, maybe the Thessalonian church were a little more reserved. Uh, they were finding it hard to listen to these words. Perhaps we're more down the Thessalonian side of the camp in terms of, uh, in terms of heeding these words of prophecy. But how might it work here at Church by the Bridge? When we do open mic, you'll see that on the slide it says open mic, encouragement, I don't know what the other ones, but right down the end in smaller writing, it says prophecy. So there's space for it. You can do it. The screen says so. Uh, you might think that you could come up and share a word. Let me tell you, when we used to run Saturday night church at Church by the Bridge, 
a woman by the name of Annie O'Shaughnessy used to come and, and share from time to time. Annie had a very troubled life, many addictions. But uh, one Saturday night, Annie got up and she said, you know what, it's very hard for me to get here to church. But when I do get here and I find that most of you aren't here because you've got lame excuses, I'm really discouraged. So maybe you should get on and start prioritizing church a bit more. It's a tough word, isn't it? It's an admonishment. Now, what can you do with that? Well, you could dismiss it, couldn't you? Annie's an alcoholic, you know, can ignore her. She wasn't even here last week. Who's she to say that? But you could also do what uh, verse 21 says. You could test it. Hold on to what is good. So what's good about that word? Well, it's in line with God's word, isn't it? God wants us to gather together. There's even a Bible verse for it, Hebrews 10.25. Do not neglect the meeting of God's people. Well, it's a word from God. You can receive it as it is. You can take that word and you can honor it and you can respond to it. Do not quench the spirit is Paul's instruction. Let God's spirit work in you. And in a moment, we're going to have some time for you to sit and be still and think and, and, and reflect on how God's Spirit has been working in your heart as we've been through 1 Thessalonians. Well, as Paul rounds out his letter to the Thessalonians, he's given them a lot to do, a lot to work on as the family of God, a lot of ways that they can love one another well as the dearly loved family of God. Fifteen to-dos. Fifteen to-dos in the family of God, but there is one more to-do in the passage, and it's the most comforting of all of them. Have a look with me in verse 24. Our kids sung it to us before. He who calls you is faithful, who will also will do it. Friends, there's a lot of things to do in the family of God. There's a lot of ways that we can grow and and change in our love for one another. But the most important thing is that the one who called you to do this will also do that work in you. Faithful is the God who calls you, and he will do it. God will do this transforming work in us so that we will be his dearly loved people, so that we will love our leaders well, so that we will love one another well, and so that we will love God well. Let me close by praying for us the prayer in, in uh, verse 23. Let's come before God in prayer. Now, may you, God of peace, may you yourself sanctify us at Church by the Bridge completely. May our spirits, souls, and body be kept sound and blameless for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you that you called us to this task. Thank you that you who called us is faithful. And thank you that you will do it. We pray all this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Now, even I forgot my booklet, so I can't do this. But you might have a phone on you. You might just want to sit and think. In the back of your booklet are some reflection questions. We've come to the end of our 10-week series in 1 Thessalonians. And we want you to sit 
for three or four minutes and think how God has been working in your heart, what God has been teaching you, what you've learned about him or what you've learned about yourself or what needs to change in your life in response to God's word. So take some time to reflect and then the band will lead us in song.